Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamek. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of this program. Today we have a very special guest, J.D. Mass, uh, a former uh, manager for musician Nelly, is with us today. J.D. Mass earned his doctorate in organizational psychology and became heavily involved in white anti-racism groups in Los Angeles and later in St. Louis. His, uh, this work inspired him to write Race for What? A wise thinker and guide, J.D. hopes to, for our society to finally connect the harm of racism and help create a humane world. J.D. Mass, welcome to Politics and Rights. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, um, I, I want to read something that, that was in your, your work. It says, Race for What? Provides stories with the book Race for What? Provides stories with a unique perspective from a white man's experience and illustrates seven steps to heal. Mass encourages white people to work through the emotional and psychological obstacles in order to repair and heal the harm racism has caused. Bold statement. Thank you, yes. I mean, that's that's what I feel like is stopping us from this change <clears throat> that we've been reportedly on our process of doing since the ending of slavery um, is, is the dealing with the actual emotional and intentional um, side of it. What was going on? What led us to even create it in the first place? Let's identify what are those traits and then let's work through those so that we can see the value of healing. All right, let's go a little bit er earlier on because, I mean, one, one of the hooks that I know you use a lot of times is like, hey, you actually worked with Nelly. You were Nelly's business manager for a while. Um, you know, uh, how did that come about, first of all, and how does that intersect with uh, your, your notion of race? Did, was that instrumental at all or was that ancillary? So Nelly and I grew up as friends. He moved to our neighborhood um, and around the seventh grade, we started hanging out between eighth and ninth grade going into high school. And um, he and I became very close friends and I was always entrepreneurial. And as his career took off, he wanted to do some entrepreneurial things. And so he asked me to join him in that uh, process of helping him build his companies. Now, um, did you find that... Um that you learned something interfacing with somebody of color in business that you wouldn't have otherwise found out? And there's a specific reason I'm asking you that. So, yes. So um, as, as I've mentioned in the book uh, on the chapter about my time with Nelly, uh, I noticed a few things. One, I came in with the white savior kind of sim syndrome uh, approach to it. I wanted to make sure that I brought my level of expertise and I wanted to, you know, protect everybody and save everybody if there was mistakes being made and things of that nature. And I did, while I thought I was being inclusive, I really wasn't. Um, and it took me some time to reflect on that and, and recognize that. Um, and, you know, I made decisions also on my own without consulting him um, that I thought was best for us, but not at that time. So that was my own introspection. I also noticed as we did Apple Bottoms jeans and we were trying, I mean, Apple Bottoms clothing line, and we were trying to expand that, that we were dealing with the white culture and finance that was 
looking to back us, but had no understanding of what black culture, black store owners had to go through, how credit wasn't afforded to them. So we were making sales based on future cash projections. And it was hard to get finances to say, oh, yeah, we believe they'll pay. And so it was a very difference in culture that made it different, difficult to do business. Yeah, well, you know, a lot a lot of people don't understand that they they believe that uh, you know you you start into business and they don't believe that somebody's hue can actually decide if you're going to get credit or not or if you're credit worthy or not. As a business owner myself, I've gone through a whole lot of that. Beat it, of course, but gone through a whole lot of that. And that you understood that being next to somebody who was actually uh, going through it what was a good thing. Okay, tell me about the seven steps for addressing the racial divide as you see it. So um, it's the step number one for white, and it's geared towards uh, white folks. Step number one is to just not take a step. Stop for a moment and do some reflection, some understanding, gain some uh, understanding before we go forward. Um, let's look at why racism could have started. Let's recognize that we don't have an understanding, and oftentimes we don't even know much about black culture or any other culture because we've been taught only about our own culture as if that's the only one that's important which feeds into this kind of white supremacy culture idea right so step one don't take a step gain some understanding step two would be to actually acknowledge the harm of our culture beyond including anti-black racism but beyond that as well just in the way that we interact is so individualistic based and with this scarcity mentality that we bring we don't understand community living we don't understand that so that there's harms that come from the way we have approached building our culture and number three is to let go of privilege let go of uh, control and and let go of our fears so that we can be open to um, something new and something greater than what we're doing. I want to stop you on that part because you brought up the word privilege and what what I find that a lot of my um, uh, well not a lot of my some of my white friends uh, think that uh, there isn't privilege because let's say you take a look at white folks in Appalachia that are living way below the le the standard of living of, let's say, even somebody in 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 some of the ghettos in the major cities, etc. Um, how do you explain as you? I mean, you rightfully talk about privilege. How do you explain that to your as as you try to put that out? So privilege has context when you're when they're defining it in those terms yes they can make an argument for lack of privilege however there's been a system that has been supportive of white folks maintaining a level of advancement um, with ease that other cultures don't have. And so even though it should come naturally, and it seems to, if it comes naturally to us, and we don't really see how it comes, doesn't come naturally to others, we can ignore and, and, and be um, uh, blind to the fact that we have these privileges because they really off, I mean, they should. And in writing, they, they do, right? Like I read something the other day that said, all lives matter would make sense if all people were created equal in the first writings of when we said all right if um if these you know uh the pursuit of happiness and the and the justice for all meant all folks then so then all lives would saying all lives matter has the same context as those 
than Black Lives Matter is because those never included Black lives in the first place. And that is the level of privilege that I don't think we get to understand. I, I want to add something to that, and, and then we'll go to your step number four. And that is, a, and, and I think it's something that is important that the, our listeners actually understand. I always give the example of uh, when I went for my first loan in business, it was in the 80s, it was for $40,000. I had a perfect credit. I had all these these attributes good resume good job etc a friend of mine white guy good friend of mine he was a coke addict everybody who's watched him play with his nose know that he was a coke addict he he was starting a new business i was starting a new business we went to the same bank the uh, again we all wear our suits we went into the suit into the bank the bank folks spoke to him they gave him a break he got the forty thousand dollars they told me don't even bother filling out an application. This was the 80s. That is what privilege looks like, just right. by a, an appearance that you don't do. And a lot of people don't quite get that. I can put a suit on with somebody from Appalachia and uh, uh, that knows absolutely nothing, and they'll get into the door. Right. And I would have to hope that I can get into the door. Just a thought that I, I wanted to put out there. Continue with your four, sir. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I, I was able to exchange anything at any store without question. And my friends exchanged things and were denied, would hand them to me in the parking lot. I'd go right back into the same attendant and, and exchange something exactly. for them. And that is the level of privilege at a small scale, but it's still a representation right. of common everyday life. So step four is to appreciate the value of other cultures, specifically for my case, uh, black culture, um, because we have ignored it. And, and so also going back to your level of privilege, and this system has a target of oppressing things and the way that we set up, you know, we punish poor people, we punish this, that and the other. But I say at the at the bullseye of that target is uh, anti-black racism, right? So, yes, it does hit other people on the target, even poor white folks in, in rural areas and all of these things that don't have some of the same privileges as others. But that target has a bullseye and then it builds from there. I have and a so, question for you because um, you, 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 you say something that, you know, we can infer from it. But I, 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 why do you think uh, we can have all that kind of privilege, but that specifically anti-Black is an issue? What would that be? What would be the cause of that? So I think that there's one, a lack of understanding. Um, there's two, uh, a huge fear in, in our, and I believe the fear is in our uh, feeling of adequacy in comparison. Um, and, and I say that, because we we say that there's like a fear of of black retaliation if we were to do go through a stage of repair and reparations and whatnot, but there's no ever been a a level of of uh, retaliation throughout all the harm that's been caused yet. So that that fear is a projected one. I think well, our fear. Yeah, I, I want to interrupt a second again because I mean, I I you, you are. I mean, I'm so glad that you articulate that because it's an important point. But we actually have a great example. Apartheid didn't leave South Africa until the early 90s, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And when they had the Truth and Resolution, uh, Resolution Commission, as it turns out, nobody had anything to fear about. The, the millions of Blacks that everybody were 
fearful would suddenly come down on the very small amount of whites in South Africa never occurred. Right. So we have right. examples that this is not how societies normally work. Yes. And that's and and that level of ignorance created by our fear. And I think our fear has to do with some level of insecurity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, racism is massive, uh, very harmful bullying mm -hmm. at this like gross kind of cultural level, right? And so when you start to untangle what a bully does, a bully tries to make themselves feel better by making someone else feel lower than them. Right. But that starts from a place of not feeling good about themselves in the first place somewhere in there there's a desire to boost themselves but their knowledge of how to do so is to make someone else feel lesser than and so something in us needs to identify what is it what is it about this lack of melanin skin that made us think that having less melanin meaning i can't be outside as long in the sun connected to the earth which is a simple concept, what makes us less have less melanin create a society that says we're the supreme being in this structure. We are superior to someone who's inferior to us, who has more melanin and can be out in the sun. And I think that comes from back in that day, that meaning something to us. Being outside, agriculture was our way of life and not having necessarily those same resources and understanding how the mentality of people who had an abundance of resources behaved, we brought this scarcity mentality that ended up not being able to see the welcomeness we were being offered and want to cause harm to those who had access to those resources. Excellent. Numero cinco, number five. So number five is reparations, right? If we can actually uh, have a value and start to appreciate the value of others without feeling bad about ourselves, but actually recognize the humanity that, like you were saying, that existed in, in cultures of, of indigenous and aboriginal people, then having reparations wouldn't just be a cost. And we, we actually has a cost to a value because everything we do has a cost. When we turn the lights on, it has a cost. When we buy clothes, it has a cost. When we leave and we drive and we go experience a, you know, a sporting event or whatever, everything we do has a cost, but we associate a value with that cost. So we don't even measure them, but with reparations, we're stuck with this cost thing. So Step five is reparations. Step four being that we have value to that. And then leading us to step six would be what can we build if once we've repaired this situation? And I think we need a new mind, one that we can identify as humanitarian and, and give us an example so that we can, as white folks, if we're really going to make a change, it is to stop with the control and move into a place of servitude so that we can understand how to live in a humane place and in a humane way that is step seven in living in a manifesting humanity. You know, it is amazing because um, it is so much easier to love than to hate. It is so much easier to live harmoniously than disharmoniously. It is so much easier and actually more fun to it, cherish it, cherish differences. You know, I always tell folks that I, I simply enjoy going to an Italian restaurant. I, I, you know, we always used to talk about melting pots, right? right? And I actually, I'm from Panama, Central America. 
I like salsas. I don't mind. I don't mind melting. I don't mind the melting pot, but mm -hmm. I love salsa as well. And salsa is a whole lot of different things that are identifiable, right? That come together, taste damn good. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess right, what else right. tastes good? The, the the stuff that you melt in the pot tastes good too. Right. Right. They're, right. The one doesn't eliminate the other. It is so much easier to just say, you know what? I love human beings, isn't it? Yes. It is. And and there's just that fear that we need to really identify in ourselves that prohibits us from wanting to just share space and and enjoy one another versus try to control what do we feel like we're losing by doing so and what does losing what's the end result that we're so afraid is going to happen because there's it's projected like DL Hughley. I don't know if you're how familiar oh, you yeah, are I with know him. him yeah. But my favorite line is is that the scariest place for a black person is in the mind of white folks, right? Yeah. We've created this image of and and it's been used to keep us separated and and not keep you separated from us because it's really used to keep us separated so that we're weaponized for powers to be to maintain control because we want we're afraid of what a melting pot looks like. Although I think the younger generation is no longer afraid oh, of that. They're not. JD, uh, you just mentioned a very important thing that I preach all the time. I, I don't know, you, you only said it in passing, but I've, I've been talking about all of us being controlled. You know, um, mm -hmm. a lot of people think that, okay, so black folks were slaves or whatever. And what I preach now in my show is that we're all what I call antiseptic slaves. And the reason mm -hmm. I call it antiseptic slaves is that uh, the powers that be, it's, just, it's in their interest to keep, you know, the conquer and divide has merit. It's right. in their interest to make sure that you fear me. Right. Because if you're concerned about me, I have control about, I have control of both you mm -hmm. and the other. Right. right? And that's, and, and, and having people understand that is very important. And that's why a book, uh, like yours is important, but also a book coming from a white man mm -hmm. stating these issues. A lot of people would, wouldn't want to say that. It's like, well, you know, a black guy can write that book too. And, you right. know, and, and, and many of them have. Right. But the idea is you have to have, you, you know, a, a friend of mine, and this is a white girl that told me this. She said, Egbert, I'm going to tell you something. It is time, she, you know, she, I, I don't, when I became a blogger and an activist and all of that, I was not a black activist or a black mm -hmm. blogger or anything. I was a blogger. I was an activist. I was working on economic issues and mm -hmm. etc. And I specifically didn't want to work on black issues because of that association of, well, right. I don't want somebody to think black is only. And, and she said something that you are, that you sort of alluded to. And that was we, uh, racism is a white creation we are the right. ones who did this. And, you know, I, I didn't ask her to say this. And then she said, uh, we have to start telling white people to fix what's wrong. Right. Don't ask black people to fix it. Maybe right. get information as far as how you feel, what you feel, etc. cetera. Right. But remember, they're not the ones who had the whips. They're not the ones who said you couldn't vote. They're not the ones who... All these things that we consider undemocratic in this country, mm -hmm. they weren't the ones that instantiated it. Your thoughts right. on, that, on what she said? So what, one, absolutely. We, it's on us to really repair the harm that we've done 
it's also on us to uh, be more curious of other cultures so that we can learn something new because we'll keep repeating the same thing mm-hmm. if we don't, right? Like cancel culture is mostly associated with progressives, right. but violence and, and murdering somebody is cancel culture. So right. let's not get that twisted either. Right. The, right. You know, the NRA is much as much associated with cancel culture as uh, the progressives are. Right. It's both <laughs> harmful. So if you're taking, you know, so as white folks, that's why step one is don't take a step. Like right. learn that maybe our real change is to move from a position of being out front and leading into a position of learning and serving and seeing the value of that. Um, and those are that's significant difference in change. But in order to do that, we have to address the repair that needs to happen. And some of that, I think, has to do with repairing our own sense of esteem, our own sense of values and changing what is valuable to us, because we're all miserable in this culture and we want change. And I think that's that was really reflected on in our country it was reflected from george bush to obama that there was a desire for change i think obama looked like change but didn't have the influence of changing the system itself mm-hmm. right. and so that when he left office there was still a desire for change and trump whether you like him or not he's different right, right. he was different as a politician for us the left uh on the democratic side didn't recognize Bernie was different and they didn't promote that. And they promoted Hillary even because she looked different, wasn't bring, she was still part of the same practices. Mm -hmm. And I think we got so afraid of what the difference in Trump did that we brought back Biden and now we still want change. Right. That change needs to happen. And it's on, and it's imperative for us to address the need for change and move and make a move to learn how to operate in a cooperative way. But we can't even understand the individualism and the separation and the disconnection that we have in our culture that's leading to these certain things. That's what I hope to help bring some light to. Brother J.D. Uh, JD Massa, let me tell you, I am pretty sure that your book will be a part of, uh, a part, you know, it's going to take a whole lot of us doing a whole lot of things. And you add into the discussion and you bring in, bring in these, these uh, subjects, issues in, I think it's important. The last question I always ask all my guests is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would I have liked? Oh, boy, that might be the toughest question I've ever been asked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what would I have liked? I mean, if you, or if you want to make a final statement, so, it's just as fine as well. Yeah, so... How you start something, and I'll just, the values in which we start something is is often how it ends up. And so it's very hard for us in untangling this disconnected culture that we have to like the way we're structured as far as thinking about family, that's yours, this is mine, this is, you know, instead of as a group of, of whole, we, we have redefined ourselves. Um, uh, how am I trying to say this properly? I think I'm confusing myself. But the level of 
being responsible socially versus being responsible individually allows for a culture to all of us to feel good about, right? Where versus being responsible individually means a lot of point, finger pointing. Nope, you should have done that. Nope, you were the one up. Oh, we, we have been deceived so much in our culture and and it has to be deception because white supremacy is a deceptive concept. The fact that we have less melanin being uh, being supreme is a lie. And if you're going to build a system that supports that lie, you have to do it around lies. So now we have this 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 culture of deception that we're dealing with, and that is what we have to untangle. And that's the biggest thing. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, Brother J.D. Mass, he is the author of Race for What? A White Man's Journey and Guide to Healing Racism from Within. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Thank you very much for having me. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.